Well, I'm going to preach from that passage in uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm not going to pronounce all those names. Stan, you did a great job, didn't he? Those of you who are scripture readers, you did a, thank you. Must be one of the hardest readings uh, I think we're ever going to hear. In uh, 2011, I went. I was sent by this church to go to Haiti to make a connection with an orphanage. Some of you might remember that. And went to the capital city there in Port-au-Prince in Haiti. And uh, that was a year after that terrible earthquake, um, which killed hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people uh, in that impoverished nation. And so we get there to uh, Port-au-Prince, and the capital city was in ruins. People were living... Lots of people still living in tents. And everywhere you looked, there was rubble throughout the street. And there were people picking up this rubble. They were trying to rebuild their nation. And I remember driving with one of the, our guides was a Baptist minister, a Haitian there, who was, I think his church was involved with this orphanage. And he was taking us out to the countryside to see a piece of property that the church was interested in buying to help grow this ministry, this orphanage. And they wanted the school and these other sorts of things. But we're driving out of the city of Port-au-Prince and then we saw real poverty in the countryside. People living in ramshackled houses. And houses is maybe generous what they were living in. It was just unbelievable. Grass huts. But um, as we're driving out to the countryside, the, this Baptist minister said to us, he, he, he pointed out something. He said, that's a place set aside for voodoo worship. And he said something to the effect. These are not his exact words. But he said, our nation will never be able to be rebuilt until we get our spiritual foundations right. The nation, we cannot rebuild it until the spiritual foundations are right. And I thought about that as I reflected on what's going on in Nehemiah. Because we're reading in the middle here of a, of a rebuilding project for the people of Israel. Nehemiah was sent by God to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Babylon had destroyed the city of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. That's a very important date in Jewish history. 586 B.C. was the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And then the people of Jerusalem were taken into exile. And then the Persian Empire rose up and, dis, and, and took over from the Babylonians and the Persian king, King Cyrus, allowed the Jews, this is 50 years later, after the city had been destroyed, after the temple had been destroyed, under King Cyrus, he allows the Jews to go back and begin rebuilding. And so they rebuilt the temple. They had a place to worship. Nehemiah rebuilds the walls. They have more security. But they needed something else. They needed to rebuild their spiritual foundation on the Word of God. And that's what we see happening in this chapter of Nehemiah 8. Spiritual rebuilding is taking place based on God's Word. Whenever God is at work in a special way among His people, people start to respond to the Word of God in a special way. And that's what we see happening in this chapter. I want to point out three ways 
that the people of God here are relating to the Word of God as an indicator that God is doing this work of renewal. Because what happened then is the same thing that has happened throughout church history and happens even today. When God is doing a special work, His people began to respond to His Word in a special way. What I see here, first of all, is that there was a great emphasis on understanding the Word of God. That becomes a priority. And I hope you notice that throughout this passage, that word understanding or understood is, is repeated throughout. This is the way the biblical authors, by the way, this is how they highlighted, they emphasized the point that they wanted to make. They didn't put it in bold. They didn't put underlined marks. They repeated what they wanted to communicate, that God wanted to communicate through them. And so we see this word. Whenever you see a word repeating in Scripture, you listen up, because that's a point of emphasis that God is making here. So Ezra says, or verse 2 says, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, the law, the word of God, the Torah. The nation is gathered, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. And then he read in the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And then verse 7, the Levites, this was the tribe set apart. God set this tribe apart to be the ministers. And they were to minister to the Lord. And part of the responsibility was to work with the word of God here. And verse 7 tells us they read from the book, from the law of God clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people, here it is again, understood the reading. Some people picture this as kind of like a national Bible reading convocation and then a national Bible study with Ezra reading the law of God and then the Levites in the crowd sitting down with the people. Maybe Ezra would take a break and they would sit down in small groups and do small group Bible study as he would explain the word of God so that they could understand it. So it's important not just to hear God's word but to understand it and not just understand it in terms of acquiring information. But the word here, the Hebrew word for understanding translated here, it means to perceive, to discern, to gain insight and to be able to apply it to their life. That's the kind of understanding that's taking place here. There are different kinds of understanding, isn't there? You know, I can, when I hear on the news a financial report, I understand to a certain extent the information I'm hearing. Stock market's up, the stock market's down. The housing is doing this, the housing's doing that. I kind of understand it. But somebody who's in finance, somebody who works in finance, there's another layer of understanding that they have. But they don't just hear the information. You know, they hear trends, they hear patterns. They start to think about how this is going to affect my business and how this is going to affect clients. It's a different layer. Their understanding is accompanied by insight that leads to application. So there's a level of understanding that stays at information. Bible knowledge in terms of content. But then there's something that moves to a deeper level and that is insight, perception, discernment, wisdom, what this means for me. And that's what is the people of God are after here. These folks who have walked through the rubble who are rebuilding are desperate for God's wisdom, for God's word. 
They need His wisdom to rebuild their lives and their family and their nation. They need to know how to think as the people of God. They need to know how to live as God's people. How to hope as God's people. And friends, it's the same in our lives. We need the wisdom that comes from God's Word. We need our minds washed by His Word. We need to have God's perspective on our life and on our circumstances and on our world today. We need to have the hope of God that comes through His Word. This happens through understanding, not just intellectual knowledge, not just getting the content, but perceiving the importance of it, discerning it, gaining wisdom from it. That's why the Bible is so important here at our church. That's why we have all these Bible studies and these small groups and preaching and teaching is important at Church of the Resurrection because we know we need the wisdom of God. So when people are hungry for God's word, to understand God's word in that way, not just to answer Bible trivia questions, but to apply it to their life, then you know that God is at work in a deep way. God is doing a work of renewal. So understanding the word of God. But then we see this um, deep reverence for God's word. The reverence for God's word in this passage. We see it in the attention that they give to the reading of God's word. It says that Ezra read from uh, early morning until midday. How many hours is that? Six, seven, lots of hours. And the people during this Bible reading, it says the ears of all the people were attentive, attentive to the book of the law. Imagine a worship service going that long, six hours or so. Maybe we ought to try it sometime. Maybe next Sunday we ought to try it. There's nothing happening next Sunday that you want to watch or be a part of, is there? It'd be a good Sunday in St. Louis to have a six or seven hour worship service, I think. Might as well. As Ezra read the law, they were filled with reverent attention and a sense of expectation because the fundamental belief here is that God is addressing us through these words. And so they gave reverent attention because God was speaking to them through his word. And then look at the actions they take, the reverent actions they take. There's a lot of action During this worship service, physical actions, as he opened the book of the law, it says in verse five, the people stood. And that's what we do when we hear the reading of the gospel. Our king is addressing us. And when a king comes into a room, it's appropriate to reverence, to respect the king. And one way to do that is to stand, to stand at attention. Jesus is addressing us through his word. And so we show respect. Another way to show respect is to bow. We see that happening too. After Ezra reads the law, it says that, this is verse 6, they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You know, the, the Hebrew word for worship is a, is a word picture and it is to have your face to the ground or to lie prostrate before the Lord. To bow in the presence of the Lord signifies that He is so much greater. And it's a position of humility and reception. They're bowing in the presence of the Lord. Lots of bodily action taking place in this worship service. A Presbyterian minister, I read a commentator by a Presbyterian minister. He said, uh, he said, for those of us accustomed to worshiping decently and in order, 
Usually that means the seated position. He says, all of this sounds suspiciously Catholic or charismatic, except for the amen part, which sounds Baptist. (laughs) These folks were engaged in worship. They were energetic in worship. They were bringing something to it. They were responding in reverence. They were showing by their outward actions what was happening inside of them. Giving reverence to God's Word. Reverence doesn't mean stuffy. It means taking God seriously. It means fearing God in the sense that we take Him and His Word seriously. And so when you see that happening among people, when their attention is riveted to the Word of God and they seek to understand the Word of God and there's reverence there, it's a sign that God is doing this renewing work. We see it on the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches the first sermon in the Christian church. And it says 3,000 people were listening to him. They were fixed on his words. God was doing something extraordinary. And their response was 3,000 people after he preached, what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized. But God was at work among his people. I read about uh, D.L. Moody. He was a 19th century evangelist and uh, based in Chicago where Moody uh, Bible Institute is from. And, uh, or Moody Bible Institute is. And uh, in the late 19th century, I think it was 1893, there was a fair, a World's Fair in Chicago. I may not have the year exactly right. But this was the time of the World's Fair. And Moody had the idea of let's have some preaching crusades during the World's Fair. Let's rent out some buildings in Chicago. And people said, Mr. Moody, nobody wants to go to the Bible conventions during the World's Fair. They're there for the World's Fair. And they're not they're wanting to see what that's all about, what the city's all about. So I don't think this is a good idea, but he really felt that God was on the move and God was doing something. So they prayed about it and he got his team together and he got this guy named John McNeil. I think that was his first name. His last name was McNeil and and his it was a partner and they said we're going to rent out buildings in the city. We're going to have preaching crusades and and guess what? People came. People came and one person um A a contemporary of Moody wrote this. He was there at the time. And he said, on Sunday, the fairgrounds were mostly empty, but the churches where Moody and McNeil preached were filled. That's God at work in a special way. He said people were lining up. You had to be there two, one to two hours early to get into the churches. And then he said something I found really encouraging. He said, even a preacher of ordinary ability could fill a church during that time. You know God's at work in a special way. That is a mark of spiritual renewal where people are hungry to know the Word of God and give attention to the Word of God. Are you concerned about our nation? Are you concerned about families? Are you concerned about what's happening in this city? Then let's pray that God would do this renewal work and that God would draw people to His Word and that there would be a hunger in our cities, in our nation, to know the Word of God. It's a sign of renewal. It's a mark of revival. That's what we need. The third mark I see here is response. A response to God's Word. It's not enough to understand the Word of God 
or even to have this attitude of reverence or attention to the word of God. All that is important, of course. But God calls us to respond to his word. And it's interesting to look at the interaction between the people and the leaders here and how they respond. Sometimes we get a response that we're not looking for. And that happened in this instance. Ezra and Nehemiah had one thing in mind and the people went in another direction. And what the people did in response to the word of God, and this is an appropriate response to the word of God, is they repented. They started to weep tears of repentance as they heard the law being proclaimed, read. Because they understood how they fell short and they probably were thinking about their own history, the history of their nation and the judgment of God and what had happened to their city, all because they had not lived up to this law. And so they started to weep. Tears of repentance. And that's an appropriate response. But Nehemiah and Ezra say, not today, guys, not today. That comes later. Actually, it comes the next chapter. There's this national confession that happens. But Ezra and Nehemiah said, no, no, not, not today. We're starting afresh. We're rebuilding. God is doing something new. God, out of his mercy and goodness, has brought us back into the city. The walls have been rebuilt. The temple has been rebuilt. We're laying a foundation. And this is God's gracious work. This is a season. This is a day for joy and celebration. So here's what you need to do. Wipe your tears and go have a party. That's what he says. Invite people. Have a great meal. Have some great wine. And people who can't afford it or don't have enough, you invite them to. And let's celebrate the goodness of God of calling us back together and speaking His Word to us as His people. This is a time of joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength, they say. That could mean your joy in the Lord is your strength. Or it could mean, and I like this, and I kind of, I kind of lean to this way of thinking about it. The Lord's joy in you. The Lord's delight in you is your strength. So revel in this joy. Celebrate the joy of the goodness of God who shares his word to help us rebuild. This is an appropriate response to the word of God. Joy. Because God out of his goodness speaks to his people. I think some critics of Christianity that I read, I read quite a bit from Critics of Christianity, atheists and so forth. And this is one thing they just do not understand. And I pray that someday they will understand. One thing they get wrong about the Bible is they picture it as, okay, here is this celestial dictator who is making people bow down to his arbitrary rules. And it crushes the human spirit. What they don't understand is here is a gracious father. This is how we see it. Here is a gracious father who is giving, lavishing upon his people, his wisdom, his insight, his knowledge, communicating his very self and giving these laws for our good, for our flourishing. The other day, um, I'm burning some things in the backyard. Sometimes I'll just burn some sticks and leaves in the backyard. And I don't know. Don't tell the city of Chesterfield. I'm not sure that's legal. But small fire and, you know, um, little Sam's out there with me, three-year-old. Three-year-olds in open fire doesn't mix very well. So the whole time I'm telling him, get away from the fire. You know, you're too close to the fire. Sam, pay attention. You know, t- finally I had to 
put him in to the house because he wasn't listening to me. But that wasn't because I'm on, on some sort of power trip. It's because I, I care for him. And I know more than he knows at this point. I know more than he does, and I know what's good for him. And it's the same way with the word of the Lord. Our Heavenly Father gives us his word to help us, to heal us, to restore us. Ezra and Nehemiah say this is the right response to God who has called us back together and given us his words to celebrate his goodness. And brothers and sisters, we know even better than these ancient Israelites the goodness of God because his word has come to us in Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. And we read this morning how Jesus began his ministry announcing a good word, good news. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said. For the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news. And this good word, this good news of Jesus Christ, sets people free, opens blind eyes. Captives are delivered. The oppressed are set free. And through the good news of Jesus, God's favor is poured out upon all people. It is good news. It is a good word that Jesus brings to us. His word is more than just the law. Here is what God wants you to do. His word is the gospel. Here is what God has done for you. So you can know him and have an eternal relationship with him. So brothers and sisters. Let's build our life and continue to build our life on his gracious word. Build your identity. On his word. Build your family on his word. Some of you might be going through some rubble in your life, walking through some rubble. There might be some broken places in your life. And you wonder, what should I do? Or how am I going to get through it? We need the wisdom of God. We need the strength of God that comes through his word. We need the perspective of God, the insight of God, the hope of God. It all comes through his gracious word. Because he is good, he is not silent. And he's spoken. So let's listen deeply and attentively. Let's seek to understand it and apply it. Let's continue to hope in it and cling to it and share it with other people. And as we do that, God will be at work in our life and in our families and in our church and in our communities doing this work of rebuilding and renewing for His glory. Amen. Amen.